Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia jalacor Rood. Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolica-Rude, and today I have an immensely interesting guest I'm so pleased to bring on. She is somebody that I became acquainted with through Coach Tony Blower's Garage Gym Combatives Program, and I have become absolutely fascinated by things she does and how her mind works. So I'm super excited to bring her on the show, and I know that you're going to really enjoy the ride because it's going to be a fun one. Alice Alexandrescu is an options facilitator who helps other people identify and protect their personal, well-defined mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical boundaries. Currently, she's mentoring under Tony Blower in his Spear System Elite Masterclass. She is an Army veteran, holds a Master of Fine Arts in Behavioral Aesthetics, and is a Qualified Mental Health Associate Skills Trainer. In 2020, Alice was awarded third place in the National Veterans Art Festival for her piece entitled 888 Paper Cranes, which she gradually completed while hospitalized for PTSD, saying, During my treatment, crushing waves of emotion, thought, and sensation were delicately folded into each crane. Alice's work can be viewed on her Instagram, where she displays her studio and research methodology as a public living journal in video and photography. I highly recommend you follow that because it's absolutely fascinating. Welcome to the show, Alice. Hello. Wow, what a, I love that intro. It sounds like an interesting lady. God. <laughs> <laughs> you should meet her. <laughs> I, I meet her a little bit every day. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I, I have a boatload of questions for you because there are so many things I am curious about. So I like to start with some sort of warm-up questions and then we'll dig into the nitty-gritty. So are you ready to go? Let's do it. Okay. If you could sit down and talk with anyone, who would that be? Helen Keller. Really? Alive or dead? <laughs> Alive or dead? <laughs> well, hopefully yeah. she'd be alive so you can talk to her. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, no, just I'm really curious because of the way that she's learned to communicate and then how talking to her would be. And she's one of my biggest heroes, actually. I think she's like one of the most bravest individuals that I've, you know, read about in recorded history. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit yes. and talk yes. about self-defense. I want to know yes. like what prompted you to get into teaching self-defense? Good question. Well, let's see. I was born a courageous bystander, mm -hmm. <laughs> meaning like I was always a kid to seek out injustices and stand up physically like to, you know, like, I don't know why, but that was my compulsion. And example, when I was like four years old, there was a car accident and people were freaking out and like I let go of my dad's hand and I started directing traffic and telling people to stand back and, and wait for the police and stuff like that like I don't <laughs> remember this and then you know when I was three years old 
I was with my nine-year-old neighbor and I was like running around and then I trip over this giant stuffed animal snake that I really liked to play with. And then I slashed my eyelid on the corner of a table and she was freaking she was freaking out like there was blood everywhere and i was like she was like oh my god oh my god like freaking out and i was three and then i was just kind of like i felt the you know the the liquid and and i saw it and then i but i was just like focused on her freaking out and i'm like edna sit down you know like <laughs> I, was, I was like it's fine you know like 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 that was my like i wasn't crying i was just kind of like you know so that's just kind of a little background and this is the 80s <laughs> i was born in 83 so they're just just to give a timeline of of what i was growing up with and but like the my parents came from like communist romania and so there's what what is that why am i bringing that up it's just like in terms of these different influences like my personality how my parents like came to a new place and my they didn't they couldn't get pregnant in romania but when they flew like they escaped and were were you know like say you know like america was 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 accepting people that were were trying to get away from from that and and they couldn't get pregnant for like seven years but then in the airplane my mom's ovaries that were clogged or something just became unclogged and all of a sudden they had a kid that they were you know, my dad didn't want us or me and my brother. My mom was like, no, these are miracle babies, you know? Yeah. So, so it was, it was, a, so it was, um, it was hard. Like I had adverse childhood experiences because my parents had to deal with a lot. They came from a war torn country. Like, like there's generational trauma, like my, my dad's side, and this is all self-awareness stuff to build up to your question on why I get into self-defense because my answer, short answer is situ- like no awareness, no chance. Self-awareness mm-hmm. and situational awareness is everything. And then what does self-awareness mean and how does it, how does situational awareness play into that? And then how does me like really identifying and understanding my background and history lead and feed into the present? So I can make the smartest, safest choices for myself and, mm-hmm. and then share and share that. So being a courageous bystander kid, I would put myself in between my my physical body in between a bully and a victim every time it happened in front of me. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they were bigger. It doesn't matter any any of it. It was just like I was drawn to that. and. Because of that, I got into a lot of physical altercations. I also, like growing up in from a generational trauma, and then also like parents who didn't know, like New Jersey, that's where that's where they settled. I don't know why, out of all the states, (laughs) (laughs) but they're like New Jersey, which in Newark is kind of a rough place. So I experienced like the hardships of a couple struggle, struggling, you know, and then, and then experience the hardships of like divorce and the different abuses that come from step parents that come from like relate when adults are having a difficult time 
with each other. And like adults do what works for them, but sometimes it doesn't work for the kids. So, so then also having adverse child experiences and traumas from strangers, because also being like a, like I'm a trusting, playful novel kid who takes things literally. So if like school teaches me certain adults are okay and certain ones aren't, but then like if the certain ones that are labeled as okay, aren't really okay, then, then it's a trial by error. So I'm found Mm -hmm. myself, I found myself having to use like self-defense strategies in the physical, in the emotional, in the mental realm over and over and over again, more than I'd wish upon any kid ever. And I was just kind of like, wow, this is, this is like, I was, my mentality was like, well, this isn't very pleasant. This isn't cool. Like, but I have to do what I have to do. And so I was drawn to like this protector, this, like, how can I build skills so I know how to handle bad people? How can I build skills so I can also help other people from bad people? And, you know, what, you know, whatever I define bad as being like people who don't take into consideration the health and welfare of people around them. Mm-hmm. And so I was attracted to, and, and as a kid, I was, my like, my dreams were just like, I don't care exactly what I do. I want it to be like superhero role. I want mm-hmm. it, I, you know, I was just generally like, I want to be a superhero. And <laughs> <laughs> I can um, relate to that. I wanted to be James Bond. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so in high school, I did, you know, Army JROTC, and I really like like that structure because I, again, getting that kind of stability and structure and this idea of, oh gosh, what's the biggest protective force in the in the world? Oh, the Army. Okay, oh, <laughs> that's the United States Army. So I was drawn from my adverse childhood experiences i was drawn to these like competency and protection and the the biggest forces and stuff and i would say like every time i i would have like a trauma happen and i just have at different intervals from different people i'd have a traumatic like violent encounter (laughs) and i don't know what god is up to with like putting me through this you know like okay we're gonna just really really teach her some things here. And I'm being vague because each one of them is difficult to discuss and think about. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on it with, you know, and I'm always trying, I was always trying to like move forward. It's like, what do I need to do next? Or like, I just, how can I just exist within this world and then not be held, held down or back by things that have happened. And there wasn't conversations in the nineties. There wasn't conversations or, or resources or the type of internet access that we have now, you know, smartphones in every pocket or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And so with the, you know, traumas and a few head injuries and stuff like that, and then just being this really kind of like super deep, thoughtful kid, that combination made school very difficult, but I had a good attitude. So teachers would just like, let me slip by the grades. <laughs> and, and I was just, you know, trying to, like where where can i where can i be safe and where can i help others be safe and then that's what in and that's where like the military like again in high school i was dedicated to um 
all of the activities that a, a JRTC high school army cadet would do, like going to the vet homes, doing drill team, doing these physical fitness teams, camps and, and volunteering. And, and I, and I did like, I was attracted to the police explorer program, like volunteering for, for that. And I did that for the four years of my high school and it just kept me like grounded and stable. And, and then I joined the military and I, I developed like a really strong, like, okay, I know what physical boundaries are now. And it's like, I will destroy and demolish anybody who even tries to like cross a physical boundary. But then like the emotional boundary and the mental mm-hmm. boundaries like weren't quite as defined. And when I joined the military, it was a lot different than my high school like experience. Like the high school is more of romantic. Like if you're a good cadet, uh, you'll get advance in, in rank and, you know, and it's based on merit. And it was literally like that. Like by the end of high mm-hmm. school, I was like the commander of my 300, you know, 300 cadet JRTC unit in, in Jersey and Union. So actual army was different. <laughs> There's different. Like, yeah. th- and, and I, again, being a very like literal kind of learner, I was, surprised and and i was like okay i have to adapt to like people in people in leadership positions aren't that don't like this like i was in love with the seven army values though leadership duty respect honor integrity loyalty selfless service like that selfless personal courage like those i was like yeah 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 those are powerful powerful words (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and i was just enthusiastic and like let's embody this in an and then i'd get like weird glances from my from my comrades in arms <laughs> by by like how seriously i took it and and then getting getting these different responses that didn't make sense to me again like i didn't develop my mental and emotional boundaries that like I embrace that Alice, like that high school Alice, that kid Alice and everything that she like she did to adapt, to survive and thrive how she could. And and then there's like a period of time (laughs) where like late teens and early 20s and early 30s Alice was like really had like a lot of shadows and missing pieces that weren't developed because of the developmental stuff that happened. And even in the military, again, like I was super like, I will, you know, like I, I will, and I have been in physical altercations where I was victorious and, in, 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 in when my body property life were, were being threatened. But while I was in the military, like the kind of betrayal and abuse that I received was so much more insidious where my leadership was incompetent and compromised and had a lack of integrity and i would you know we were in a recruiting team and i was 21 22 and i was like really again with my personality i would just we were traveling the country and i was like all right we're gonna recruit the best soldiers and we're gonna and i got assigned like assigned to this instead of going to iraq my unit was gonna like go to Iraq. And then the recruiter I was working with, he was like, no, you should do this team, like apply. And, and these were supposed to be the best, like out of hundreds and hundreds of applicants. 
only like 20, 21, 22 were selected to be on a number of different teams that traveled around with NASCAR <laughs> to, to recruit. I was like, I, I never expected my service to be go in that direction, but I'm like, all right, sounds cool. So my sergeant and my officer, like, you know, I was again, th- this impression of like officers and, and NCOs are leaders and leaders have, you know, they embody these seven arm- army values more so than the specialists and privates and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And that again was inaccurate. And, and I didn't quite see like clearly the lack of integrity. That's the way I like to put it. Like the, the veering away from the missions, like they would, it was, it was like poor, like the way I saw it was like, they were just kind of bad at their jobs because they would choose drinking and womanizing every night. And then like bringing me along as like a, a tractor, like, Oh, here's this cute person we're with. So we're safe. You know, and then right. I'm like, here's here's my team. This is my team. I'm being I'm being helpful. You know, this is what army people do. Woohoo! You know, like that. And and then I'm just thinking, like, but you know what? This is you know, I'm getting tired. My body's like hurting, and because I'm you know we're doing you know doing this, as, and then just repeated, repeated, and like the mission is suffering. Like I'm just concentrated on like our mission is to recruit leads, like talk to people, help recruiters in in states like recruit people you know at these different events and stuff but it was like we were in a different city every week and stuff and then about like halfway through my sergeant drugged my drink and then sexually assaulted me while I was unconscious and I was like in that gray zone of blaming myself right and and I was like Oh, damn, you know, I should have spotted this. They're doing this, you know, this is the kind of behavior. And I was essentially like, like, it was such a peculiar relationship because I was like mothering them like, hey, you know, this isn't the right way to treat women. We shouldn't, we should be doing this. Like, so I have a lieutenant and a sergeant and I'm just saying like, this isn't good for the team, like just every day or like, I'm not interested in hearing about X, Y, Z, you know, like these inappropriate things every single day you know to and i think they even got investigated but again i was so like it wasn't as bad as my childhood right so i was just like oh this is something that i can work on over time Hmm. so so even when they like my when they were when my leadership was investigated i was still like you know you know they're just trying to have a good time and they're super stressed out so i was even making you know, I didn't even realize that I was protecting them like the way I was. And then mm-hmm. I wasn't in contact with what my heart was saying, like, because I was just like, well, it's what I found in all of my experiences was like, well, it wasn't as bad as my <laughs> a last abuse. Therefore, it's better. But <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that would just be like. It wasn't as bad when I was as when I was three, when I was seven, when I was 11, when I was 14, you know, like, like it just progressively, like my reaction time and my, my responses to, to these scenarios where I needed to defend myself just kept on getting better and better. And I was like, um, but I was like, wow, why is it happening 
Like, is this the pace that I have to learn from? And, and then it's like, really, it sucks. So my military experience was affected. And my, like, from all of this accumulative stuff, I started losing my self-confidence. And then when I was offered my own, like, team, they're like, hey, Alice, we know you're the, you're really good. And we want you to run your own team. And then I was like, at that point, and again, back to self-awareness and lack of, lack of what I had going from like, I'm this 17 year old battalion commander of this, like, you know, like this high school thing where I would, you know, I was leading and we went to like national championships for, for our drill team and stuff and placed in a couple categories and things of that nature. But then here I'm like, 1921. A couple years later, I'm like, no, I can't run my own team. I'm just going to stay on this team. Mm-hmm. And thought about, I was like, how can I go from that to this? What's going on? You know? And then mental health was not even, I didn't want to hear I had a mental health problem. Like that's, it was again, back to like the, the stigma of like being weak or vulnerable or deficient. Like I was like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, I can handle this. So mm-hmm. this other stuff happened. I, I like ended up leaving the military, the army. And, and then it's like, I, I got my degrees. I was like, I, I, I went like I pendulum shifted. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to academia now. <laughs> I'm going to get my, I'm going to go like, I like, I liked art too. I liked art and army, which were two opposing things at the time. Like in the nineties, it was like, you know, one side was like rough and tumble and, and, and this, this, this category of people. And the other one was like soft and fragile and, and whatever. And I'm like, well, that one side was failed me. Let me see this other side. (laughs) So after the military, that's when I started like thinking about power dynamics. And then in that behavioral aesthetics like i made up that concentration like i I got into a grad program called emerging practices which doesn't exist anymore because because it it couldn't fit into industrial business school models Mm. but during the time i was there for three years and then the three-year program like dissipated it came into being when i came in and it disappeared when i left so (laughs) so but but i had this you know I was like exploring power dynamic and trying to understand my and behavioral just means like the way we act and aesthetics means like the way it looks. And Mm -hmm. so, so I was just studying. It was a mix of like making, how can I make it plain speak for the listeners? Like non-clinical art therapy mixed with like art activities that make people like think about their self and situational awareness. And Mm -hmm. so, so I would just design different activities and experiences for people to do in galleries or in, in the street to, to as self-reflection type experiences. And that involved self-defense. Like my first year like I was, I started like, cause I'm thinking like the physical body. So like really returning to that, like a lot of the, the crowd that I was with were not, they were so intellectual and so mental based that the physical body was not part of the discussion. 
And then I was like recognizing that. And then it's like, you know, how do I intellectualize, but also embody physically? So I started looking at closed caption violence and on TV, on YouTube and stuff, just watching when the good guy won. And then I'd make video art and stuff from, and then I was trying to research, like I spent hundreds of hours looking for self-defense programs that made sense to me based on my experiences. And I'm like, no martial arts, like based on my head injuries and my trauma and my the PTSD, which I'm diagnosed with, you know, through the, the VA now, like I can't memorize these these katas, these combos, this makes mm-hmm. zero sense because this, this part of the brain that they're asking me to inhabit is a parasympathetic part. I'm safe in a dojo. I'm connecting with other people. Those are things that I could not right. do. So, and I know you, you visited this and I did not come across, you know, Tony Blower's stuff or when I did, it was like, if I did, it was like regurgitated based on just leo and i'm just like okay that's it's it doesn't have you know it's like another version of maestro defense systems or krav maga or bjj or 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 whatever like wind chun and so i was just i was just like gosh i need to come up with my own uh, <laughs> i need to come up with my own system because i know how i felt when i felt scared and i know what i needed to do and I needed to be adaptable in that moment with whatever was happening. And, and like for each one of those instances where, where my body was threatened. And then, and then also like when I was not conscious to protect my own body, what could I have done to protect my own body? And mm-hmm. then since, but it, since it was, it was like months, it was six months before, like the bad feeling that, you know, Tony, Tony Blower teaches, it's like, I know that. You know, we hear this a lot, but she's like every victim of violence who lives to tell the tale always says they had a bad feeling before the incident. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know what, when you grow up with a bad feeling and you become desensitized to it (laughs) because of adverse childhood experiences, recalibrating that son of a bitch is a son of a bitch to do. Mm -hmm. So, so that bad feeling that, you know, I missed it six months before. I got drugged and sexually assaulted by my sergeant. That bad feeling was, these guys are douchebags. I need to report mm-hmm. them now. So, so that, so understanding that timeline of violence and how, and then just understanding again, like, because what I grew up with and what I saw is just created a pattern of, like compromised emotional and mental boundary. And that affected the situational awareness. It affected decision-making. Like what I thought was safe was just slightly safer than what I had before, but it wasn't, it was still, it was less dangerous, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. So I just learned, I was thinking like, how can I help people not choose slightly less dangerous versus choosing safety and that nuance (laughs) that like detail that subtle difference between slightly less dangerous and safety is an interesting very personal conversation to have so 
<laughs> that big long answer, like how did I get into self-defense? It was like adverse childhood experiences drawn to the protector army, you know, def protector defender world, that promise, and then being disappointed there. And then going into this art world of like, okay, it's about, it's about creativity and connection, being disappointed there. Cause I was, I went into being an art teacher afterwards a little bit. And then those, and then I found that the kids could not connect to their creativity. I, I was working with at, at, at risk youth and, and, you know, whatever the labels we put on them. And I was noticing their dysregulating. Like I was having to be nurturing and mothering and teach them how to, I, I was sensing that, teach them how to, how to be less fearful to connect to their creativity. And I'm like, you know, to, to, to be in that art flow is to be connected to a piece of the mind that is not sympathetic, is, that's not sympathetic, that's not in the brainstem. And then mm -hmm. maybe you can start from the brainstem to be inspired, but then you had entering that executive functioning. So then that led me into mental health <laughs> and well, art, mental health. Cause I was like, well, I'm doing the mental health work already with my art students. And, and then I, and all the while I was choosing less dangerous partners. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was affecting my decision-making and my career choices. So on my, per on the personal side, again, I was, like totally aware of what physical threats could be, but the emotional mental, like I was compromising, compromising, like um, making choices based on poor attachment and stuff like that. So army art. And then I got connected to the nature in between art and mental health because I'm, I lived in the Midwest with my, like I moved with the current partner I had at the time for their career. And then that's when I true I got connected with what nature really is, because there's a lot of it out there. So <laughs> it's very different from like New Jersey. So so then army protection, art creativity, nature connection. And then that and then then that took me to like the mental health. And then I moved to Oregon with again same same person for their career, sacrificing, you know any you know interests and and ties that i had to any friends like i was just like um you know this is this is what it is and then i using my behavioral aesthetics like course load i was able to qualify for to be a mental health associate and and then work with children's family and children's nonprofit therapy outpatient group with therapists and other skills trainers and like each one led led into the other. Like there's the the, the mental health world <laughs> opened my eyes up. Like I was good at my job because the kids just needed to be seen and heard. And I was good at that. I was able, like I had it built in to be able to respect another human being. Mm -hmm. And and then just, you know, my job there was to shadow kids in environments where they had behaviors that other adults couldn't safely respond to and then teach skills to to the like communication skills like we were talking about with Helen because that's definitely like that's what I was that's what I was seeing kids not being able to safely express their needs to identify their needs and 
and more I was working with these kiddos, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm one of these kids. And and when I go home, I'm like one of my clients going to their home, like in mm-hmm. my inner child. And I'm like, shoot, holy cow. And then, <laughs> and that led me to like, I think two and two and a half years ago, I was like at the, you know, I was just like make coming up with these realizations and I like, and, and like understanding the mental health world more and seeing, you know, trying to see mental health practitioners, but it was so much to catch up on. And like, as things were revealing, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot. And I, I did not ask for help and I did not seek help and I did not express my needs. And I, and and when I started doing that more and more with my partner, it was, it got worse and worse in my own personal life. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been, you know, I've been burning energy and, you know, sleeping with a threat, sleeping with threat, like not even knowing it Mm -hmm. for, for so long. And that was devastating to my devastating to the, the, the sympathetic, the fight or flight. Cause I'm just living in fight or flight, not even knowing how good I don't, don't know, don't know. I feel like mm-hmm. just, and that, 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 that was it. And then when I start making these choices to, to advocate for my needs and then like understand, like be self-aware, identify what I, what I need, what I want, be brave to communicate that and then respond to the, the response. And, and then two and a half years ago, I was like, I have to start my life over again. And, and I did, I, it seems like I started my life over again about every three to four years, like from scratch. (laughs) So like new partner, new, new job, like, you know, and I'm just like, what is up with this pattern here? You know? And, and I left everything. Like I, I just packed my car with, crappy breaks, you know, and, and, and just 900 pounds of whatever I could fit in it. And then drove cross country to one of my old school buddies who said, okay, you can live in my attic and just help me out with art projects until you get it back on your feet. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just knew like whatever, whatever I was doing before was not safe for me because I was not living in my truth. I was not making healthy decisions and I was overworking my, my body. And I was like, definitely one of those mental health practitioners who was using the job to avoid my own issues. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's, and I'm admitting that and I'm seeing that. And I think like a lot of us, like I see that pattern in all types of jobs, using our jobs to avoid stuff that we don't even see that we're too scared to see. And then, or we don't, you know, it's just like this, this the neural layering of, of 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 seeing and admitting and meeting and being vulnerable with myself and being compassionate and feeling safe with certain individuals and then sometimes and especially if there's a, this pattern of not feeling safe with individuals or communicating it's just like it's complex and I'm feeling it as a woman and as a mother of daughters I know that life can feel pretty damn scary and with good reason. Whether you've experienced violence before or you're just aware that it's out there and it stops you from moving freely around this world, you're not alone. The numbers are not pretty. It's estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or violence by a non-partner. 
the National Crime Victimization Survey reported that more than 600 women in the U.S. are raped or sexually assaulted every day. But I want you to know that you don't have to live in fear. You and your daughter can and deserve to navigate this world feeling confident, prepared, and most of all, completely capable of taking care of yourself and your loved ones because you were born ready. When you learn how to recognize and use the self-protection tools that you were born with, your innate built-in self-defense system, you can keep yourself safe. And I can show you how to do that. In my new program, Born Ready, the three life-saving self-defense tools for empowered women, you will get a quick, powerful introduction to key self-defense concepts and tools to jumpstart your safety. Here's just a bit of what you'll cover. The first module is all about your amazing body, how your body and brain are designed to protect you. You landed on the planet well-equipped to keep yourself safe. And yeah, we've been domesticated, but this is where you will learn how to get in touch with your built-in protection system. Module two is all about nonviolent postures. Now, most assaults do not start out of the blue with violence. They start with an interaction between two or more people that goes down the wrong path. So in this module, you discover how to stop a situation from becoming unsafe and how to keep yourself safe if it does go violent. Module three is tools and targets. It's all about how to use your human weapon tools to fight if you should ever become the victim of a true ambush, somebody attacking you with no warning, or if you become involved in a confrontation that turns violent. This is exactly what you need to lay the foundation for your personal safety so that you can begin navigating the world with confidence. This course is an investment in your safety and in the safety of your children and loved ones. It's an investment with an invaluable return, personal power, confidence, and safety. If you are interested in learning what can save your life, please click the link in the show notes or go to www.cynthiajolikerud.com slash born ready to find out how you can enroll in the Born Ready course. I'm offering it to podcast listeners for just $97 if you enroll using the coupon code PODCAST. You can make this investment with absolutely no risk because you are covered by my 100% money back guarantee. If within a week of enrolling in the course, you don't feel uplifted, encouraged, and empowered to keep yourself safe, then just send me an email and I'll send you a refund. You and I both know that every woman is born to be a badass. We all have innate power and abilities, but we often don't know that they're there or we don't know how to unleash them. So enroll in Born Ready to feel ready, to be confident, and to live with the freedom that you deserve. And so the self-defense, <laughs> the self-defense question, like, so for that time, I was in, researching in grad school. And then, then I got these other, other jobs. And I just had this huge, big collection of every self-defense. And I, I obsessively watch like 
again, violent scenario videos and, and, and this was about, you know, six years or something. And, and then I got my mental health job and then I was just kind of focused on the mental and emotional self-defense aspects. And I started researching that. So I shifted gears and then for a couple of years, I was in that job and then I realized that, oh my gosh, I need to take care of myself. And I, I, and it was hard, very hard to leave my clients, but I found a window like it was, you know, it was like spring or summer, summer vacation was happening and everybody was, was out of school and I was able to just, and I wasn't seeing them for that whole summer. So I was able to just kind of transition to them. and. And then I, again, I just left and I started over and I had to learn how to receive help, help from my friend. And then I was like, and then admit that I was struggling and then face that the bullies, like the people, the, the people that I was trying so hard to fight on the outside through my, you know, my, my, the, the different groups that I joined, the different organizations that I helped start, like to, to try to help different groups of people ju- and justice for them and stuff. This was like, I was all just trying to like the, not, I, I didn't identify the threats inside of me, like my internal bullies that were, were, were being violent. Like this, these internalized, internalized violence that was, was, was saying cruel things and that was having me do cruel things to my body and, and stuff. Like I found out about this breathing technique, like, five years ago. And I was like, this is really important. But then, you know, all these bullies and all these things, just something that was so life changing, you know, that I started practicing 11 months ago, I could not implement six years ago. Mm -hmm. So, so just understanding, like, and that again, that was my intuition coming out saying this is really, this is really healthy. This is really important. And then, and then just being in a pattern of self betrayal. So, and not wanting to be, and then like go, so like a lot of, a lot of, this is a long, long response, but it's the best one I could give at the moment, or the, this is one that works. <laughs> and I started opening up to receiving help and from friends and support and just trying to see what's safe, what is safe and who can I trust? And, and that's, and then I reached out to the VA because I was like, I can't stay with my friend, you know, in my friend's attic forever. And, and I was like, I thought I can like maybe find a job again. I was applying, but I just wasn't fine. You know, I wasn't able to stabilize. And I was like, gosh, I'm, I have negative money in the bank account and stuff like that. And then like, I was, when you get, when you get, when I get better, it feels worse because when (laughs) like, that's kind of the process. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm letting out some toxic past stuff. And then it just feels worse and worse. And then even though I'm progressing, it feels like it's not progressing, but that's kind of like how it feels in this whole process, which I've been doing for these last two and a half years. But when I got in touch with the VA and then I, and I was mad at the army for this whole time, you know, I was just like, Mm -hmm. F it, F it, F it. But then finally I had with the support of my friends here in Buffalo, they were like, go ahead. and you know, like receive help. And so I went to their mental health people and I told them like, 
yeah, I'm technically homeless, except my friend's letting me just stay in their, in their attic. And, and, but it's, you know, what can we do? And, and this, and they're like, and then I told them, they're like, Hey, Oh, you could, you could also like, has anything happened to you or physical or mental abuse or hurt or injury in the military? And I'm like, well, this happened when I was active duty, but I didn't really count that. And they're like, Oh no, that counts. That's, we call that military sexual trauma. And you can, mm-hmm. you can file a claim for it. And it was actually 2018. And it just so happened that that year, or was it 2019? No, just a couple months before I saw the, um, the, the, the VA people, they had a memorandum saying, and this is fascinating. It's like all military sexual trauma, you know, victims, survivors, whatever we call them, all military sexual trauma people who filed for claims and who reported they can report again because we did this long-term study like a decade and it looks like we've been unfairly like diagnosing and and compensating women like we we weren't our our examiners were not taking women's stories seriously holy cow and yeah and and it's like now that we understand how PTSD and complex PTSD works and then what what the repercussions are and what it looks like over time like like now we're we're doing it differently so i was you know it was a for, fortuitous for me to to jump in because like cuz now the you know the the veterans affairs was approaching it in a trauma informed way mm-hmm. and then also recognizing like no that women aren't necessarily going to report like in the 90s and the two early 2000s it it was more like these well i don't know exactly but for me like what i've experienced with with other mst vets that i go to group with there's people in the 60s and 70s who would get raped and report it like i had a friend who, who she like she reported it right away and they just were like, we're going to sweep it under the rug. And it's, it, 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 it is what it is. Like, and these are, you know, by her, by her commander, like two sergeants, like she just joined, she was 18, two sergeants came and got her. They, they brought him to, they brought her to the commander and got her very drunk and then sodomized her. And then that was devastating for her. That was the beginning of her military career. And there's so many stories from the 70s, 60s, 70s, like that. And then there's stories like mine, where it's where I'm just kind of it's more of a, of a gray zone or something. But it's 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 not it's this the same energy of corrupt, amoral, unethical, lack of integrity, leadership kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then a system that doesn't know how to support it, even though everybody gets their se- sexual harassment, uh, you know, protocol training or whatever. Right. So, 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 but things do change. Then they are changing. And then, you know, 2018, that memorandum, whatever. And anybody who's listening who, who's a vet, female or male, and you you had military sexual trauma, you can go see your and if you've reported it and it's been denied or or any kind of story like that, you could go to your veterans affairs office and 
and find out more information about how to get help on the mental health side, on the compensation side, because things have changed. And then the way that these systems do change is with the the numbers and the statistics and the stories coming out to say, this is a reality that has not been seen. So, So I was able to receive help from the VA. And that's where, (laughs) and again, all my experiences, I'm trying to figure out like, how can I protect myself, my mental barrier, my, my physical barrier, my, my emotional barrier and and the indignation and the physical barrier, like super easy for me. Like I had that all my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But then like being able to draw those, those mental, those mental and emotional barriers. And then how can we, how can I help, you know, like, building that situational and self-awareness in an individual and everybody has their own story and it's and it starts from the second we're conceived like between like the when the sperm hits the egg even before that like the even even the the attitudes of the parents and stuff but like our bodies start to develop the second those two cells like touch and then and anything that happens can be a traumatic like like neurologically traumatic to a developing human before uh, birth. And then that zero to three, huge, huge developmental time period. And then uh, three to three to seven, seven to 14. So this is all part of the situational awareness. And then, the, you know, back to the breathing. It's like my breathing my baseline breath will be compromised if I'm breathing like I'm in a fight or flight state my entire life. And that'll mm-hmm. cause detrimental health effects. Like, and for me, it showed up as endocrine system failures. And, and then also like, I would try so hard to, to, you know, I, I, I would do like CrossFit five times a week, 5am classes, and then just plateau. And, and just feel pain. And then like, why? I see my comrades are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're getting stronger, getting buffer. And it's like, my body's, bur- you know, it's, it's not adapting. What's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So all of these different clues and, and on like, it's it very much like our neurophysiology very much so affects our, our biomechanics and our, and our physiology and, and it's all connected as, and as they say, and we hear that, but then like we hear that oh every mind body connection da, 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 da. but it's just like really understanding and, and understanding and feeling and applying that and comprehending personally what that means that's all based on the history of, of me right. it's just it's fascinating Alice yeah. and, and the reason why is you know as, as a as a woman who is teaching self-defense and teaching women you know everybody comes to a particular coach because they resonate with them. And, you know, the fact that you've arrived at this point after all of those different pieces of your life experience and your history and your research and your experimentation and your betrayals and the failures and all of that, like that is what makes you such an amazing coach because you're not talking about theory that's not related to reality. You're talking about lived experience that unfortunately many, 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 many women share. 
you know, maybe not all the different pieces, but there's bazillions of women who share similar experiences to you, you know, in, in one way or another. And I think the thing that really drew me to you was that you have all of this intellectual understanding, the concepts of the theory and, you know, the, the neurophysiology and the psychology and all of that, but you embody it. And the biggest thing for me in coaching women is really helping them embody the things that you're talking about, which is how do you protect your mind, your body, your emotions, your spirit? And, and if you if you just have it in your thinking brain, your conceptual brain, but you don't actually embody it, embody it, you can't embody it, you're missing the most powerful piece. So I think what you're talking about is like the most essential piece of you know what we call empowerment, right? It is really learning about yourself and being able to it's not just being able to use your body, but it's like accepting your body and understanding and helping your body and you know all of those different things that you've talked about. So you know I, it makes so much sense to me that you've ended up in this place where you are teaching self-defense. It just totally does. Yeah. So and I just and I love was, it. And that was like me, you know, calling out to the universe like when you gave the intro and you mentioned like when I, my paper crane thing, like I was getting like two and a half years goes, I was getting help, but then like a year or three years, gosh, I have to look at the timeline, <laughs> but I, that, that personal history timeline is so amazing. Like it's a beautiful thing to do. just to, like to just write, I call it my shadow CV. Like I write my mm -hmm. curriculum vitae. Like I write down every thing that I think hurt me. <laughs> mm -hmm. on this like yeah. year by year and then even just to then I go over it with my therapist and then <laughs> we, mm -hmm. before the pandemic started or the the whole you know I call it the covidian era but yes that's <laughs> a good so name when the, yeah when the covidian era began like right before that I was like in like I checked into the inpatient because I said I like I started realizing the most dangerous person to me was me. Like I was disconnected so much from my like power and mm -hmm. power is energy. Cause you know, like the, my power plant, my energy and, and then, and then pure energy is love, right? Like that's how I define it. And, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling safe around myself to keep mm -hmm. myself safe from harm. And I was like, I go to my VA therapist who I was just doing outpatient with and I'm like, I'm ready to do an inpatient, you know, meaning like, mm -hmm. so they, they put me, it was interesting for the first time in my, like I, I put on some like pink scrubs. I went into this, the 10th the floor, like there's no, strings there was no you know all the furniture was a hundred pounds you know <laughs> like like it was it was just a just this kind of very barren floor where we just were seen by psychiatrists and things of that nature which i have you know my critique about but it was just like a reset for two weeks mm -hmm. like i had no responsibility no thoughts like things in my life were, were very unstable. My housing was unstable. I wasn't living in legal 
a legal building. It was, <laughs> and that's where like the recreational therapist named Mary, she just like taught us folding cranes. And I remember having such a hard time with origami and, but I had the time, like there's no stimulation except, and there was a TV, but I just stayed out of that room. Cause I was like, TV's not healthy for me. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but um, I found so much peace and, like it gave me something to fidget with, gave me something to do. And I just started folding these cranes. She got me like a pack of 400, 500 pieces of colored paper. And, and then I was, for the first time in my life, I allowed myself to receive help with, from the nurses, from the staff, and then communicate. Like I would not share negative things out loud. And I was just holding it in. Because I was like, this isn't useful. It wasn't used. Like I developed this pattern of like negative things hurts me. Like that was my kid pattern. Mm -hmm. But I did not develop a healthy way to express back to Helen Keller to express that pain and that, that anger. And that's part of boundaries too. What to let in, what to let out, you know, not just defending them, but also understand like, what do I keep in here? Right. <laughs> and so, and what do I, what do I keep and what do I eliminate, you know, like the elimination system. And so, yeah, that was like the, so the, pa- the paper crane project, the 888. So the, the story is from Japan. Mary was just, I love the, the rec therapy. A thousand cranes, you fold a thousand cranes and then, then the healing, like the wish for the healing uh, happens. I might, be remembering this wrong but like i understood it as if i fold a thousand cranes then whatever healing i need to be done needs to be like will will be the wish will be granted after mm-hmm. and that's and that's you know we see paper crane projects across the, the states for different reasons but i was just like i'm just gonna do this i'm gonna do this very simple thing and i'm just like thinking you know there's there's and there's like a mind bully saying you have a master's degree in fine art and you're folding paper you know and then I, and then <laughs> and then i'm just kind of like shut up you know shut up yes i was like yes i am and like i was like i'm gonna just keep you know i just kept on and it, it was like a fidget toy it helped me like get through these difficult like these psychologists saying like oh okay yeah these are your diagnoses this is the, these are your labels these are you know and then i and i would communicate and then i'm just sitting there like like, do you mind? I'm gonna I'm be folding this so I don't punch you in the face. Well, <laughs> you know, <it's> like <laughs> so because and and then after that inpatient, which was more acute, then I went to a residency to like go to groups. You know, it's the same kind of you know is is a little bit less strict in terms. Like I couldn't leave, you know, the the inpatient. It was just very like twenty four seven, just kind of keeping an eye on you. And and I felt like a baby. I felt so cared for you know like Mm -hmm. it was a weird it was like but it was something that i didn't you know didn't feel or didn't remember feeling because of the the difficulties that that happened and and so i got that kind of a peculiar way of being cared for 24 7 like i don't worry about my eating i don't have to and then and then there's a little camera in my room you know like like they're just watching they're just watching you know there's always somebody watching, you know, and then I was just kind of like, I really had to, you know, use my imagination and say like, okay, this is, this is where I can get this. This is where I can get this support. And, and, and it is a certain, you know, there could be a certain negative stigma around it. 
but how can I use it as a positive stigma? Like I, I'm, I'm using this as a resource to reset and to continue my healing journey. This is what's available. This is this, this is what I can do. And then I went to the a residency where we did groups and I learned about schema therapy and relation relation stuff and, and and then the term complex PTSD was first introduced to me while I was doing that inpatient. And what I found, like friends that I didn't feel connected to because I put this film up, like these people who cared about me, I went to school with and like six years later that I didn't really talk to them. I just kind of left all my friends because I was just in this weird, like just the relationship just kind of cut the wrist I was in, cut me off from my family and friends and stuff. And then the friends that I made in graduate school that I felt like I'd never see again, they welcomed me back with open arms and say, well, you know, we'll help you. Mm-hmm. We want to help you. And, and then even when I was in like inpatient, I didn't tell anybody. And then I just told my friend who I was part-time working for, I was like, I'm not going to be able to work for you anymore because <laughs> I'm, I'm in this place. And she's like, what? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to, I just got to work some stuff out. And she's like, what the hell? And then they started visiting me. And I'm like, and then I felt cared for. And I'm like, oh, wow, you guys are my friends. And then, and then I didn't want to, again, I, 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 another self-realization thing where I didn't want to tell people I was in this inpatient unit. And I just wanted to like go through it and then come back out. Fine. But then that was like being not fully honest with them. And I was mm-hmm. realizing like, I have to, in order to have healthy, deep, intimate relationships, like, I have to share, trans, you know, like find people I trust that are safe and then share what's going on and express both negative and positive with, you know, and that was difficult for me. And then that's what I've been working on. When I got out was February. And that's when the COVIDian era started kicking in. Oh, and I was timing. on top. Yeah. And I was on cloud nine because I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm letting go of this toxic, you know, this toxic, you know, I'm, I'm eliminating this toxicity that I've built up and I'm building these skills and I'm feeling wonderful. And then, and then the COVIDian era begins. And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oops, like I'm not taking all the blame, but I'm like, here I'm no longer, you know, swallowing my suffering and, and, and incompetence and compromise. And then, but then the world starts doing it. <laughs> the world reflects my, like the external world starts reflecting what I was getting rid of in my internal world. And I'm like, right. oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> but I was just, you know, like I was okay. I was like being working in the school systems and seeing, living what I've lived and seeing what I've seen and then working with kids with behavioral challenges. like. I'm like, the COVIDian era is coming right on time. Like it was in the making. It didn't just happen. Like there was incompetences in, in these societal structures and the lack of integrity was building up decades over decades over decades. And then this is like, it's now it's the, 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 the absurdity and the, I'm just going back to incompetence and compromise like right. is front stage and center and then the lack of of cooperation and skills and communication is just it's out it's out there and we're in this in this time and there's different people pivoting and and that's where tony blower comes in where his business had to pivot so that's out february january february 
March is when April or March? April? Yeah, before 20. So March, March is when former President Trump, he erased $108,000 of my student loan debt by a, (laughs) by a, he signed like a thing for veterans who, who had PTSD. So Mm -hmm. my, in March, in March, that goes away. And then the, the VA, you know, says, okay, we're going to give you comp and pen to heal. So then all of a sudden, these two huge financial, let's say like these financial blocks were removed. And then the next month, Tony Blauer, who I, you know, I recently kind of found on Instagram with, you know, and I was loosely following him. He, his business has to pivot because all of his live stuff gets canceled and he's losing half a million dollars like right away or something. So he starts the garage gym and I'm like, wow, my, <laughs> like I wanted a mentor. I wanted to have a reason, like a, like a real life self-defense thing. And then what he teaches, like the components, the way that he designed spear system was reverse engineering what humans naturally do to, to protect themselves without any training, without any martial arts training, without any gun training, without any knife training. It's just like the badass evolutionary genes that exists Mm -hmm. within us. And, and I'm like, Oh, wow. So I joined right then and there. And, and I wasn't thinking about, so I'm like, technically I'm a fairly new coach in this. I've been teaching and coaching and living and embodying these different things in my entire life. I started in April and I was still working like with my, my fear and my insecurity and my self doubt and my, and all this stuff where I, I wouldn't even turn the video on and I wouldn't even communicate for like the first 30 classes. And then I started like believing and doing my therapy and then, and doing these healthy practices, the breathing, the, the sunlight the the and making healthier choices with what i put in my body and being like w- like what goes in what goes out in every way <laughs> like from energy to matter what goes in what goes out it's sacred territory like now and just developing like every day sacred territory my heartbeat creates a magnetic field that radiates at least 6 to 10 feet in every direction Meaning that's where, that's the sacred territory, like where my heart magnet, magnetic field can reach. So anything or anyone, any idea, any concept that comes within that, you know, heart range has to like, you know, like has to be within my best interests. And that's what I like doing the spear, like every spear class with, with Coach Blower, hundreds of hours, like we're on episode like 230 now and and usually classes are an hour and a half to two hours so it's at least 500 hours now with live with him asking him questions learning doing the moves and that was like part of this healing process for me like i just joined for me at first because i was like this is the one self-defense system that my body and my intuition says this is legitimate because i used elements of the system to protect myself prior to any training. Mm-hmm. And when I was mm-hmm. looking for self-defense systems for training, my body again was saying, no, it's missing the, that non-conscious physiological 
stuff that goes on that right and coach Bauer designed a way to identify it put nomenclature to it and then to in a brain-based scenario-based way you know you know the the words for it and I was like I that's why I'm attracted to it and I believe in it and I'm and I can jump into it because I know what he means because I had Mm -hmm. to do it and I had I, I did have to use the biomechanics to to vend myself from two men when I was in third grade and like I do had to the closest weapon, closest target, and the the other concepts like the the D two using my choice, like using choice speech, using my my words to distract to get out of situations a lot because that's where, and it's because it is like how what can I do to to not have that physical violence like if right. I and then that might and I realized and what I um, and I started then a couple months later March February March April May. June, like then coach was like, Hey, you guys are moving really well. Maybe you should, um, like my garage gym people, like you should really think about becoming coaches. And I was so scared because I was like, I can't, I can't coach again. I can't teach again. I don't blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm reconnecting, reconnecting to that, that true Alice, that, that kid, that three-year-old who told Edna to sit down and calm down. Right. Right. And like, I was like, I, want to honor her i want to connect to her like i want to raise her up and 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 allow her to like she deserves she deserves to 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 grow up into a healthy adult and the and the world deserves to have healthy adults in it and yes. the november i got my pdr certification as a technician november and mm-hmm. and then i started teaching zoom classes i was so scared again and and then i just but i was transparent with my students i'm like hey this is where i'm at (laughs) this is (laughs) this is you get a good deal on these classes because you're my guinea pigs and the type of people that i've attracted the kind of people who follow me on social media are these heady heady brain metaphysical types and they really do appreciate where i come from and how i explain the the system and and i i work diligently to remain pure to the nomenclature and the 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 way that coach b has designed it because i understand it is just kind of like identifying a piece of my physiology my psychology and my biomechanics and stuff identifying those pieces and then consciously training them into a coherence like okay i i know i have it i comprehend i have it okay those are some steps now I feel it. Now I'm understanding that it's connected to this and this and this. And then I just creating, creating this system of body knowing connected to that mental plane. And it was just this morning I had this like, and I've been really kind of focusing like the four elements are throughout the ages, earth, air, fire, water. The earth is the body. The mind is the, the air. The fire is the spirit and the water is the emotion. And, and I got that when I was in the inpatient for at the VA hospital, I read a book called the language of emotions. I read most of it, but she was, is a brilliant book. That's like by Carla McLaren, language of emotions. It's an, it's a, it's a top one that I recommend because it explains the purpose and the, and the importance of every emotion, how they're 
negative, positive emotions, it's a bad way to look at it. It's a harmful way to look at it. Like every emotion has a, a noble job, an honorable job. Honor, like angers, angers to light up our boundaries and sadness is to, to wash away grief, to, to release. Like sadness is the, is the watery, yeah, to, to, for relief and grief and relief. Joy is to show us that we are able to, like, when we get anger, that we're able to resolve that boundary violation. You know, like, joy is just kind of like that little check-in that when other other feelings are are met. But so she introduced the, this element in that book. That's where I got introduced to it. Mm-hmm. The the elemental system as well to consider where these they're how they're related. And then I was just this morning, I was thinking like, if I try to stand on air, if I try to ground on air, I'll fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I try to ground on water, I'll drown. If I try to ground on fire, I'll burn. If I ground on ground, the earth, I'll be grounded i'll be stable i'll have a foundation and the so those those four elements are part of how i you know i contextualize the physiology psychology and emotions in in the spear system and then also contextualize the, the four elements the four boundaries to protect and right and, okay i'm going to tell you I want to have you come back for episode two with Alice because I really want to dig into that. Yes. And I want to dig into nonviolent communication and nonverbal cues and a whole bunch more. I just, (laughs) I really (laughs) want to. This has been a fascinating conversation and I knew that it would be. (laughs) But I'm just bubbling with more questions. So how about we, we wrap it up here for today. Yes. And we schedule episode two with Alice. <laughs> we can <laughs> dig into the rest of it because I still, I have a bunch of questions that I haven't asked you yet. So. Yeah. You know what? That'd be the, the more, I think the more personal the questions are, the longer the, the, <laughs> the, the longer they are, but then the when, deeper we start the getting in, when we get into stuff that I can just more explain on that people can apply generally, then I think I could keep it more succinct. <laughs> But that just shows how fresh I am in, uh, yeah. in exploring myself. So it's yeah. just like, and I think, you know, this is, this might be the first time I'm really sharing my story in a way. And well, I, I really appreciate that you have and, and, you know, that you've been willing to be so transparent and to talk in depth about what your experience has been. Because, you know, as I said, like, this is who you are and this is what makes you such a fabulous coach. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so before we wrap it up, where can people find you? Okay. Well, right now, just Instagram has been my chosen journal of, so I, Alice Joan Irene, that's my Instagram name. And like, if people want to follow, That'd be awesome. If they want to DM me with questions, always welcome. Um, like, as you've seen, I like answering questions with thoughtful depth. And yes, <laughs> um, I love it. And 
so that's that's probably the the best place and okay and i'm in the process of growing as a coach like you know i'm getting mentored with with coach b and we're doing a live like level two training in florida where i'm going to get hands-on and i'll be more i'm just you know this is i'm a little seedling coming out a little sprout you know (laughs) well that training is going to be fun because you and i will get to play together yay i just ordered my high gear uh i'm super excited I'm glad I'm going to see you in person. Yeah. So it's, it's because we've just been training, you know, on Zoom for Virtually. so long. Yeah. Well, that's okay, going to be cool. fun. Yeah. Well, All right. Thank you for Alice, listening. Alexandrescu, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. And I can't wait to get you back for part two. So until you come back, this is the Born to be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma, and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.